I'm Zeke. Whoa, and I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sci-Show <laughs> podcast, episode 112. That was smooth. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. That's my Sunday. I don't know what it is. I just thought I'd start with like a kind of smooth, um, smooth jazz, smooth, smooth into ease into your weekend sort of vibe. You're a radio sort of space. Yeah, um, I, I didn't mind it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I've been really, like, craving, like, you know, like, we have Ellington Jazz Club in the city. I really right. want to, like, have a night out and go there just to, like, have, like, a soul evening. Uh, of course. Um, uh, but quick tangent aside, how are you, Jake? I'm good. I'm going to talk about soul in a minute because i got something to compare it to. But, yeah, I've had a good week. Now, I realize, Zeke, I haven't asked before recording if you have a quote ready for me from a t- <laughs> from the 20... 20- 2012 film, which... 2011 film. No, it's because mm. it's episode 112. 112, yeah. yeah. You see, you're so focused on your smooth line delivery, mm. you forgot the content, Zeke. You forgot the episode number. That's fine. I'll give you a minute to do that. I just want to say, happy International Women's Day. Because <laughs> this episode is going up on the 8th of March. Do we... I only found this out the other day that Americans don't technically celebrate International Women's Day. Like, not officially. Mm-hmm. I'm actually curious now. I'm actually going to look it up if Australia does. Are we a sexist nation, Zeke? I know we're a racist nation. That's mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> we don't need to ask further. But let's see. International Women's Day 2021 Australia. Okay. Well, I definitely have a quote for you. Okay, uh, cool. Um, I, I guess we do because there's like pages on it and stuff. I don't know. Okay. Let's, let's say we definitely celebrate International Women's Day. Here on the podcast and in Australia. Zeke, do you have a quote ready for me? I do. Um, So FYI, this 2012 film you have seen, but it is not in English. So I'm going to give you the English translation. Um, I feel like I know what this might be off the bat. Straight off the bat. Straight off the bat. Let's see. Never give up. Just keep crawling forward and you can overcome just about anything. Okay, so it's not the hunt. (laughs) That's what you're going with that. Um, all right, it's not the hunt, so it's a it's a foreign language film. I can give you another quote if you'd like. Um, sure, give me another quote. Let's do it. Um, let me just quickly. What else came out that year? It's not Avengers. <laughs> no, that came out in 2012. Gosh. This is this has really got you stumped. Well, that's that's the only foreign language film I can think of is The Hunt. We only just did it a couple of weeks ago, though. So that's throwing me off a bit. Well, you can commit to The Hunt if you'd like to guess The Hunt. Say the say the quote again. Um, let me get. It's you. way too optimistic <laughs> to be The Hunt. Though. You gotta you gotta picture it in uh, the foreign language yeah. that it's in, in Danish. You got you got to say it in Danish for music. <laughs> that might get it then. All right, let me give you a, let me give you another one from the same. Okay. The world is full of nastiness, but if we stand by each other, it will be ousted. I'm just I don't I don't like the sense. I'm just going to say the hunt because I can't think of any. Congratulations, other... Jake! It was actually the hunt. When is that first line said? I think it's said in the first like. Before I think it's said by the brother. 
Okay. Before everything goes down, or no, with the the trial, like about moving oh, forward. Okay. And then the second quote was by Theo, which I think is okay. the. He's like, like oh no, yeah, Theo's the do- the father, yeah, the father of the daughter, yeah. Okay, I'll take it. I'll... <laughs> I did not for a second think that that was actually from the hunt, but you you said it, Zeke. You said, for... I mean, to be fair, that probably would have been a dick move if you didn't tell me it was a foreign film. Because so much of the quote is how the, how it's said. Exactly. And, yeah, so... It's tough to... But, as you know, obviously we did a couple of weeks on the show, mm. and uh, it's a 2012 film. And, you know, no one's actually... We've never done a foreign film question quote. So. No, no, we haven't. For good reason. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I mean, hey, I got it. So that that's yeah. got to count for something. So have you caught anything in the last week, Jack? I've caught a few things, mostly yesterday. Because we now have our a year free trial of Apple TV Plus. Now mm-hmm. I, I completely whinged about it last week. How much I think Apple TV Plus is very unrefined. No search functionality. No, you know, yeah. queue. Uh, they actually have baked in ads. Yep. Like at the start of it, baked into the file, which is really annoying. Because even if you pay, you still have to skip it. All of the I still have those problems. I'm still complaining. But I watched a couple of films from there, uh, specifically ones that have shown up in like the awards season. So I watched Greyhound, which is the Tom Hanks sort of U.S. Navy war film, and I only watched it purely because it's ninety minutes long. So I was like, okay, it's pretty short. I can get through this, and I liked it more than I thought I would. So it takes a very it it prioritizes like the action sequences and the set pieces and like the wartime yeah. military tactics over any sort of like emotion. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminded me a bit of Dunkirk in that. With Dunkirk, you don't really have time to like what were the characters' backstories? Like no, no, no. Yeah, the empathy comes from the the situation. Situation, yeah, yeah. And it's definitely not as good as Dunkirk, but it reminded me of that sense in that the film really shined because that's all it was. And it was mm. actually written by Tom Hanks. Which I think this has got to be his first like feature writing credit, I imagine. Because I don't think he's written much before. But I generally like the script. It's a lot of military jargon and like naval. Yeah. But it's like it worked because then you can kind of focus on the visual elements and the attacks and the visual effects. There's all this visual effects that went into like the water and the waves and stuff, which looks great. So um, I gave it a thumbs up. I was like, you know what? I had fun with this. There's one scene where they try to pump in a bit of emotional stakes where at the beginning they flash back to Tom Hanks and Elizabeth Shue and it's like, oh, I love you. I love you too, but we can't get married in this climate. Oh, okay. And it's horrible. It's terrible. They should have... Clearly some executive producer was like, oh, we need personal stakes. Throw that scene in. Terrible. I'm sorry. Just... It's a fine film, but that scene nearly ruined it on its own for me. <laughs> I'm just gonna it up. I'm gonna say that. The other one I watched was Wolf Walkers. So this was in the animated category mm. for the Globes, and I kind of loved it. I thought you it was kind of loved it. I thought it was really. Is excellent. it your uh, like I lost my body sort of? Uh, it's not quite as good as I lost my body, but I was I wa- I watched it in hopes that you're right. I would find my next I lost my body because mm. Soul's gonna win everything. In the, the animation categories, it's it's a fact. But, you know, it's like, there's some other good animated films in there, and, and I love... First off, the script is fantastic, because it sort of melds these higher mythical um, 
period elements of wartime and how violence begets violence and all of that. And it sort of marries that with this very intimate, small-scale relationship mm. between these two young girls and the relationship they have with their parents. Yeah. And um, it's all about, like, wolves. And I don't want to spoil too much because there's a cool surprise in there where, like, ah, oh, the title makes sense now. You know, it kind of clicks for you. But um, I thought the script was really excellent in that where it just it really grabs you and it's really emotional as well. It's a bit of a tearjerker, dare I say. But um, the animation as well is like really experimental and expressive. And the quote I found... Now, I'm not an animation expert, so I'm going to be struggling to explain how they mm. animate the film. But the quote I found is that it uses 2D style alternating between a woodblock aesthetic, which is kind of like... You know, when you look at those old, like, Japanese animated films um, and the way they sort of have the, the tree sort of meld, I guess, in the background, uh, between that and loose, expressive line work. And that's something I noticed where the the outlines of the characters were undefined, so sometimes mm-hmm. they would kind of shake and be off-frame and just kind of imperfect. And I love the attention to detail to make it imperfect. Right. And sometimes, like, the backdrops would literally just be sketches. Like, if the characters have wandered too far away from the city, it would just be, like, a sketch of the gate. Um, there's a great shot where it's a very clear reference to the, the staircase paradox. Mm-hmm. And they play with the depth of field all the time where they draw something in a way that's so sort of squared and flat in a 2D way, but it plays with dimension in that way, where they're mm-hmm. going upstairs, but it's almost like a flat image that they're rotating around. And it... It, there's just so much going on with the animation that, as a novice, I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. So I just found it really experimental. And I love, in comparison to something like Soul, which a lot of it is, like, perfect animation, where it's like the lighting is perfect and the, the models look perfect, the hair textures look perfect, all of that. I like that there was a bit of a juxtaposition. Where I think this film's going to stand out more, or it's rather it's going to last longer. Yeah, and I think it's gonna, you know, ten years from now, Soul's not gonna look as good as the other perfect film of the year, while this film, because of its aesthetic style, I think is gonna stand up. I thought it was excellent, worth worth the struggle of the Apple TV Plus subscription. I reckon. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So, did you catch anything? This yeah. Week? So I, I um, obviously with the Disney Plus movement with Star coming along, as we mm, talked about a little bit yes. on the show. Um, Wes Anderson films. There's quite a few of the ones that I so I've only I've watched every feature Wes Anderson film bar two. Okay, and I've ticked off one of them in the last week. Um, so I ticked off the Darjeeling Limited, which, to be honest, was up until Disney Plus getting Star, was very difficult to come by um, in terms mm. of DVDs and stuff. That's fair enough. Yeah, um, I enjoyed it. Um, it kind of still feels like. If we're just talking about his live-action films, it still feels like a, a rung behind, probably on the same sort of feeling as, as Life Aquatic for me. Okay. Um, so where, um, where'd you stand with Life Aquatic? Uh, it's seldom good. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. Um, sort of like your three, three and a half star. I think I liked it more than Life Aquatic, but less than um, Grand, Grand Bird Pass yeah. and a lot less than Moonrise. Uh, Moonrise is my favourite, I think, from... Oh, right, from, Moonrise Kingdom, from, yeah. yeah. We did that episode. We did, 50, that, we, that film, rather. 1 or 52. Um, I think 51. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, that's easily my... F- Honestly, be probably 
par for my favourite Wes Anderson film, period. I think it, it and Isle of Dogs are interchangeable for me. I enjoyed it. Um, I really like... Um, I've always loved Wes Anderson's continuity of mm. of the same actors. I think it really it gives the perfect deliveries. I think, and and Darlene Limited's really good because it's Brody, Adrian Brody, Jason Schwartzman, and uh, Owen Wilson. Which you know, Schwartzman and Wilson in particular were in that two thousands period mainstream fixtures of his films. Um, Brody's actually probably had a bit more longevity out of the three of them. Because he always is in, um, he was in Grand Budapest, and I think he's in Dispatch. So, um, but at that time, that's definitely like they were his go-to people, um, and they all play three brothers, and it works really well. Mm. I think um, honestly, for the first like, I'd say twenty minutes, you almost forget it's a Wes Anderson film. Okay, because like it's not as yeah stylistically, mm. it's a little bit uh, f- removed. It does come back very quickly um but for some reason the first first 20 or so minutes i was kind of like this doesn't actually really feel that much like a wes anderson film and then it's like a like it switch hits and and we get back into that you know central framing and Mm. floaty camera and what's funny because life aquatic feels like a very perfect 50 50 of that where it swaps between you're right the very centric smooth movements and the symmetry of his films and then just sort of basic coverage like it kind of melds the two together yeah and i'm guessing that film came out before life aquatic or Um, around that time i think life aquatic came out first i think dala jean limited is his fourth okay feature film fifth feature film i think it is um and then bottle rocket is very unrecognizable um in uh, there's like inserts that like that that's where the symmetry comes in with the perfect sort of framing there but Otherwise, that's almost unrecognisable too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I enjoyed that. Um, so I've got one to go. I've got Rushmore, and I'll probably nice. try and get that in the next week. Um, the only other thing that I really watched is I concluded season three of Westworld. Nice. Um, you only had like an episode or two left last week. I only week, had yeah. an episode. Um, and boy, so I know there's going to be a fourth season, watching the okay. three. Um, <laughs> it was great. Like, I don't understand how they've managed to... Um, transcend such a small idea into this really amazing bit of sci-fi writing mm. um i think the performances from like, like i think i talked a little bit last week on it. aaron paul rachel evan wood amazing performances jeffrey wright is just incredible i can't wait for his commissioner gordon in the new batman film oh that's like, cool is jeffrey wright does he play tommy in the last of us i'm gonna look that up but I don't know. That's just where my head goes. Okay. <laughs> He's one of those actors that, for the longest time, he always no, felt definitely like he not was a. Mind. I apologize. He always felt like he was. <laughs> he was. He was always in a lot of films with like your Denzel Washingtons, and and but he was always the 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 B or the C. You know, he was never right. the he was never the main guy's best friend. He was always like one of the guys, and I really think shows like Westworld have really given him a platform to show what he's made of like and he's amazing mm. he's amazing and i think he's gonna make a really good commit like a really good commissioner gordon um in 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 the batman movie would yeah he's commissioner Pat- gordon okay okay coming up yeah the I, new one it's funny because i just checked he did not play tommy in the last of us but he is in the last of us part two 
Really? Which I didn't... I was like, oh, wow. That's His voice that's... is pretty iconic. He yeah, has this yeah. weird... He has this very controlled tone, tonality. Yeah, he plays like a leader of like a, of uh, a the Washington Liberation Front. There you go. I stand by Last of Us Part 2. Screw the haters. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it was a really good season. There's some great performers. I've only talked about a couple of them. Tessa Thompson, Ed Harris, they're all amazing. I mean, mm. the, the lineup of people in it is just enough to be like, Surely this show is great, and it carries right, good cast, yeah, fantastic cast, and yeah, really good storytelling. Um, I think a lot of the the future, the cultural shift that we're going to have in film, definitely pushes more to these ten episode series season sort mm. of stuff. I think um, the Netflix series has become. Uh, the best way to tell like i mean look at let's take queen's gambit for instance um yeah could we really see that film like that as a film like really like i I don't you could but you would lose a lot of development so much yeah um and that binge series format it's just i think it's going to be the way we go for a lot of our more intrinsic and complex stories because I think it's the formula of, of the future, or at least the next the next trend. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think it's it's been known for a while now that writers and even directors and they're starting to gravitate towards TV because there's so much flexibility now mm-hmm. in what you can write and direct in shows. And I think you're right. I think it's it's kind of a shame because obviously our podcast focuses on features, and there's still a lot of great stuff yeah, of in the feature world. I mean, the film we're talking about, the film of the week, is you know something to talk about for a long time but you're right I think TV is sort of where a lot of it's at and I always feel out of place when it's the Emmys or the TV side of the Golden Globes and I just haven't seen anything mm. from there so like Queen's Gambit it won um, she won Anna Taylor Joy for a performance and then it won Best Limited Series so it's like that's awesome and I can cheer that because we've both seen it but then virtually every other category it's like well Better Call Saul's not going to win so it was great, I don't know though. what else to watch like it's a great show <laughs> Alright, well, cool. have you got anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, well, I'll just quickly say that um, I've obviously I finished the WandaVision, the, the series finale, I guess, series. I hope it came it's out a, on Friday. Yeah, I hope it's a series finale. I hope they don't bloody stretch it out. I don't know how they could, but you see, like, different people are posting series finale, season finale. I'm like, don't you dare. Don't you dare make another season. But um, uh, just to remind the audience that we're going to talk about spoilers of the show when we do our Black Widow episode, hopefully sooner rather than later. When's Black the, Widow coming out? Um, I think they've got May in still. I, I really don't yeah. know. So you have plenty of time and then we'll really exactly. digest um, that show. I have not caught the series finale yet. I've caught up to episode eight. Um, for the yeah. most part, I have enjoyed it. So. Yeah. But it's my it's probably my least favorite episode, episode nine. Just just putting that out. What there. a shame. Um yeah, fair <laughs> enough. So yeah, we'll talk about that on the Black Widow episode. Jake, do you have any career updates before moving into our film of the week? Well, I was gonna quickly go through Ooh. our tally Ooh, our Golden Globes results. Excuse moi. Because we did our predictions last week. True, how did we go? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, my gold derby score is also pretty poor. Ah, but I think a lot of people's were, and we're going to get into one just a moment. I'll go through these really quickly for those who are not that yeah, interested in it. So, we only differentiated twice, Zeke. 
I think you went in the uh, best uh, supporting actor. You went for Daniel Coolia and with Leslie Odom Jr. And neither of us have seen either of these performances. Mm. So we were kind of just throwing stuff at the wall, being like, oh, we feel this is good. Now, you got the vote here. Daniel Coolia did win for best supporting actor, The Jesus and the Black Messiah. I will say, I actually did vote for him in Gold Derby. So maybe Jake gets half a point here. No, that's no, fine. Pity point. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but then on the flip side for score, you voted for Tenet, I voted for Soul, and of course Soul won for score. So uh, we equaled up with those two. So in total, we only got five out of 13 correct. But we drew Z. That's pretty good. That's, uh, yeah. We, it was a, yeah. So do you want to run through quickly who Absolutely. won? Absolutely. So uh, we both guessed that Minari would win Best Foreign Language Film. It did. Uh, we both guessed that Soul would win Best Animated Film, and it did. Uh, so for Best Screenplay, we both went for Promising Young Woman. It went to the trial of Chicago 7, which, you know, unfortunately that was sort of the safe bet. We were voting against the safe bet. We were hopeful that, um, you know, the Globes Yeah, we, would... we were high-stakes players. <laughs> exactly. That's such a shame. That is such a shame. Yeah, I think, look, it's... I actually do think that's kind of robbery. I'm sorry, I've got to talk about... i got a lot to get off my chest about oh, okay. later in the show. Um, but uh, that's just... That just disappoints me. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I but... like Chicago 7, I do, but... And I, mean, I think this is the nail in the coffin, sadly. Right? Like, it's like Sorkin, we know he's good at writing. We, we're very aware of it. So when someone, it's like if, when someone produces something that is as well written as like the social network, and then they produce something that's great, good, but more consumable, right? Um, then honestly, it's it's kind of a step back. Whereas for Kerry Mulligan to give her that sort of recognition that she deserves. Yeah. Well, you mean Emerald Fennell for Emer- the script. Emerald yeah, Fennell, yeah. beg my pardon. I mean, we'll talk about her too as well, don't worry. <laughs> beg my pardon, Emerald Fennell. Yeah, to give her that sort of recognition, yeah. it's like, um, you know, that, I feel like that sometimes awards have really got to like, not choose the thing that, because yeah, they're both good scripts. And it's like, what does Saw couldn't get out of winning another globe? Like, really? Just another... Yeah. yeah, but look, and it's like as, as much as we say that these awards, there's so much that goes into who wins and why they win beyond just the quality of the film, yeah. which is the sad part. But then there is also taking it further where it's like, I don't think a lot of people do care whether he's earned enough or not. I'm sure that is a consideration for some, but the thing I learned about these guys, and it's not the Academy, it's obviously a different branch. There's less than 100 people in this branch. Less than 100 people are making these decisions. So when you have less than 100 people in the same group, there's going to be a bit of a think tank thing going on. So and they're all just going to vote for what they like. To be like. honest, I think this comes back to the shift too, that um, I think film some films do actually have better chances now because they're on streaming platforms, because they're mm, easily accessible. They're easily watchable, yes. Um, and they get the, the tick of approval because they are much easier to consume. And... You know, a film like Trial of Chicago 7, unfortunately, it's like, it's a totally consumable and good film, but in 10 years, I know I'm going to visit Promising Young Woman again, but I Mm. I don't know if I'll visit Trial of Chicago 7 again. You know, it's going to be one of those films that, you know, if it was like a normal cinematic release, it'd come up on television occasionally and you'd be like, oh, I'll sit down and watch this for 10 minutes, but I would never go back to it. I mean, there's so many other Sorkin films that I could go see. Or I'll rewatch, you know, I'd rewatch Social Network in a heartbeat. Right. Yeah. 
No, that's fair enough. And look, I was disappointed as well, and I think a lot of people were, because it was the safe choice, and it's not a bad script. It deserves to win, but it's just we know there's another film that is more deserving yeah. to win that, and, and that script does more interesting yeah, things than, than The Trial. Anyway, um, so I don't know why I have it in this order, but I'm, anyway, I'll, I'm just going to muck it up. So let's go into Best Supporting Actress. Now, the female acting categories were a complete mess. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of people's general predictions and where things were going to go. Basically, all the fifth and fourth places were getting in. So for this category, we both went for Glenn Close. Of course, we thought it was between her and Olivia Coleman. We went to Jodie Foster for the Mauritanian, which I don't think many people were expecting. To give, what? To give context, uh, on Gold Derby, 4,500 people plus, including myself, voted for these categories. Only 47 voted for Jodie Foster to win out of 4,500. And even less for a category I'm about to come up to. I mean, I love Jodie Foster, but what's the film? The... <laughs> exactly. So it's called The Mauritanian. I don't know where to watch it. And What does Letterbox say? Where can I watch this? No, apparently the, these are fine films, the ones I'm about to reel through, but... It's oh, just you, you can com- go and in comparis- find The Mauritanian. You're going to be looking up a lot of stuff. So next up... Best Actress in a Comedy, we had uh, Maria Bucklanova, and we basically said we didn't really know who else in this category would get it. Went to Rosamund Pike for I Care A Lot. Okay, well, to be fair, I do think we addressed a little bit of that last week. We did talk, her hype did go up, and I I will say this, my Gold Derby, the morning of the Globes, I got up early, um, made sure that our last week's podcast was up. Before the Globes started, I went in Gold Derby, and I changed very few things but I changed Rosamund Pike from my fifth place to my second place. So I'm glad I did that. That would have helped my score a lot. <laughs> and I did that last second change. Yeah. But anyway, so that was also a bit of a, whoa, okay, fair enough. Um, best Actress in the Drama, we both went for Carrie Mulligan. Again, going up against Frances McDormand, Viola Davis, Vanessa Kirby, and it went to Andrea Day. What? For Billie Holiday. Like, what is happening? Only 40 people voted for her to win out of four and a half thousand, and she she was the fifth spot, and she won. She's the newcomer. That's crazy. Oh, I would because I watched I watched all this stuff live. I'll never forget my reaction. <laughs> to that. Like what? Insane. But um, yeah, like I said, and I, when I say it's a mess, I'm not saying that any of these women don't deserve it. I actually haven't seen any of these three performances, but like, just the way that things were going. It was so strange. Completely unpredictable. Yeah. Mauritanium, two-hour film, sitting on a 3.4 on, on yeah, okay. Letterbox. So, and it's These are all fine. Metacritic and, and Rotten Tomatoes are very divisive on it. So okay, interesting. I find that very interesting. Like, I've definitely heard a performance is good, but again, it's not a question of whether these women were good. It's a question of who's seen these films and who they're going up against. And Andrea Day beating Frances McDormand and Viola Davis and Carrie Muller is so strange. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, like you said, it's it's it, if there was a fourth and fifth place, it's like she'd be sitting down. They were all in the fourth and fifth place. They yeah. still were. Very confusing. Anyway, so uh, let's get back on track a little bit. We put our chips on Hamilton. It didn't win anything. So for best uh, actor in a comedy, we are oh, best... Uh, what am I looking for here? Don't tell yeah, me best actor in comedy. Corden won it. No, <laughs> so we both voted for Lin Manuel Miranda and went to Sasha Baron Cohen, which we probably should have 
That was so the We bit. probably should have, yeah. That was probably a bit silly to vote against him. And of course, Borat won again over Hamilton for Best Musical or Comedy. So, um, they didn't do us wrong. I think Borat got the right wins no, considering what it was. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but even just winning over The Prom and music and these other films, like, okay, thank God. Um, so there's a bit of... That's a very stiff field. Yeah. Bit of a bit of a clean sweep there. All right. Um, for Best Actor, we both went with Riz Ahmed. And I want to quickly just say, we went with Riz Ahmed because we thought this was the only place he was going to win. But of course, Chadwick Boseman, my boy, won this award as well. And I think this makes him a lock for every Best Actor category. Yep. I bloody called it, though. When we first watched Ma Rainey, yeah. I said, it's it. this is it, He's he's got his Oscar. And I think this is another sort of a tick in the box, I guess. That's rough. Winning an Oscar after you die. Yeah. In all seriousness, that is so rough. <laughs> well, it sucks, and, and part of it is, of course, him passing away and, and us being very emotional about that. That probably is part of the reason towards people wanting a vote for him, but it's also a no, really brilliant it's a, performance. It's a brilliant performance. I will not... I will not let that performance be like judged just because he passed away right it's it's, it's not it's not the heath ledger syndrome of oh well, well even heath ledger like come on he deserved to win absolutely you're kidding me yeah so I, you're right i think in both scenarios but it's like the performances you know, speak for themselves exactly the performances speak for themselves that's exactly the expression to use because yeah. they don't i mean he's he is two very powerful monologues in in Ma Rainey's black bottom and you can check out that episode it's on yeah. 104 I think you're right yeah 104 um, it's a good episode we do our awards um, <laughs> but uh, the awards that really matter um, <laughs> that's cinema sideshow awards exactly um, but yeah no it's just like I, uh, I don't want people to like I don't, I don't care I, I couldn't care less about his performance in Black Panther and uh, he finally got to be in something that really kind of flexed those sort of acting muscles and him and Viola Davis, I'm very surprised she didn't pick up the win. I thought it was going to be her or Frances McDormand. I, well, I now, now Carrie the... Mulligan was my optimist, me wanting to see it, but I... But you, you see what I mean? That race now for Best Actress is... Who, we have, Francis, we have Francis no... is winning. We have no new information about their Oscar race. We know she, nothing She new wins now. the Oscar race. The, the Zhao deserves it, and they don't, have a, they don't have a director category, do they? I'm about to get into that. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Sorry. Well, that's what I was saying. A lot we've left it best for last. Best director and best drama, of course, went to Chloe Zhao's Nomadland. Damn right, um, which we both voted for. So, yeah. yeah, very. And apparently, people were surprised by this when I was looking at the online reactions because I think they thought trial. We got it screenplayed. All like, oh yeah, trial is going to be the safe bet. It's going to win. So I think people were pleasantly surprised, much like Parasite. That and and because it's the Globe, the Globes. Who was hmm? the lawyer in Trial Chicago Seven? I always forget his name. Oh, the lawyer. Yeah. Um, oh, um, Mark Rylance. He should have been nominated. He should have been nominated. Yeah, for supporting. He was great. He was really great. Cohen didn't need another nomination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he, he's the loudest person. Let's hope Rylance honestly gets a nod at the Oscars. He might have got a nod at the Critics' Choice. I'm going to just quickly check. Yeah, him or Eddie Redmayne. I'm happy for both of them to get a nod. Because I actually think Eddie Redmayne's pretty good in it too. Let's do this. Critics. God, I can't spell today. Critics' Choice Awards. Um, best Supporting Actor. Because I think they both might have got. You know, now I kind of just shot myself in the foot because looking that up specifically might have actually. I just need to find a final list. Let's look up this. 
Because I think both Ready Red Main, Ready Ready Red Main, Ready Red Main. <laughs> He's and, a ginger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, Mark Rylance, sort of. All right, best supporting actor. Um, oh, it's just Sasha Baron Cohen. I take that back. But Paul Racy from Sound of Metal's in here, so that's good. Okay. Well, yeah, um, that's she deserves it. So, it. Yeah. Um, never, yeah, never going to say otherwise. Um, but. It's um, it's an interesting race, this Oscar race. I really don't know, yeah, kind of where to go from here. I think, I mean, Chloe Zhao, Nomadland, their locks. I think maybe, Souls maybe a lock Day, maybe maybe Day was just going to win this one because she's not going to take out an Oscar. Well, I don't think she was even nominated for a SAG or a Critics. And you know, I can't, I... Jodie Foster's not going to. We're not going to see her win anything at the Oscars. No, that's why this whole um, female actress um, or just the actress race in general is so. Because everyone who won here, they're not even guaranteed a nomination. Yeah. So, it, it no new information. Very confusing. Um, All right. But I think Daniel Coulier and Chadwick Boseman are locks. I think that's locked in, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's time for us to move into our film of the week. But, Jake, what are we watching? This week in the show, Zeke, we're watching Minari. <laughs> We need to find water somewhere. If that soil ain't wet, we're gonna lose the crop. A Korean American family moves to Arkansas to farm and search for the American dream. Amidst the challenges of this new life in a strange and rugged Ozarks, they discovered the undeniable resilience of family and what really makes a home. This film was obviously written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung. Mmm, what a lad. This is our first film of his. We haven't seen any of his other films. Yeah, can't say I've... um... I'm going to have a quick look at him on his directing... Bio. Yeah, I checked early. I didn't recognize much of what he's done. This is his first kind of half English film. I wouldn't even say half. It's like fifteen percent English, maybe. But I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I haven't seen any of his others. Okay, that's fair. But they look all pretty well received. Um, I'm sure they are. I mean, the thing I recall, he hasn't done a feature film for five or six years. Yeah. So okay, that was him we were talking about, yeah. So, Minari. Yeah, so neither of us, we saw it separately we in did. the last week, so I have no idea what you think of the film. You're giving me a little smile, a little, little cocky um, smile there. Zeke, yeah, what I, did you think I of I caught Minari? it at Luna in Frio on the Thursday. Yep. Um, in my lovely little, I have a, a period of time between classes that I can go see a film and it's honestly I've tried to make either film or rock climbing has been my, my two escapes from uni 
But just make a film about rock climbing. I didn't get to see this in a lone cinema, unfortunately. It was three or four other people. Well, if you're if you're going by yourself, like it's different if we both go to a movie together yeah. and there's no one else. But if you're going by yourself, does it really matter if you're alone? I saw I saw the gentleman alone, like completely by myself, and it was like ah, oh, I can kick my legs up, but it wasn't like. I, I still kick my legs up. I don't give. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, there's exactly. three people in the cinema. I'm like, I'm taking my shoes off. Yeah, and you well, can I, have my smelly feet. Like, <laughs> I don't think that changes the experience too much. I actually, you know what? I had the worst conditions mm. for this because it was a fairly like you know people, most of us towards the back, but it was a lot of. I went you know Wednesday like twelve in the afternoon. Yeah, so it was a lot of old people, and usually they're pretty good film goers to to watch films with, except when half of them can't walk and need to use the flashlight when they're 10 minutes late into the film and it's like I literally I'm not even joking one of them said man it's so dark in here yeah there's a reason for that I'm not gonna get started I'm not gonna get started but anyway Z I got to see it. I'm not gonna lie. I love the facilities at Luna this is gonna be my Luna plug um, oh. Luna, uh, Luna SX in Frio is amazing um always nice cool cinemas mm. nice easy to watch stuff um and have them that privilege card man you, if you're in Perth, I love the name, the full card. full recommendation. If you, you're a moviegoer, you love going to Luna, get that privilege card because I've already made my money back on it. So, uh, wow, yeah, I guess yeah, you would have, eh? Yep. On the what, what was it, thirty three percent off your tickets, basically something like that, seven or eight dollars. Well, I I didn't realize this when I went on the Wednesday, which is cheap day. I don't know if it's cheap day at, at all the Luna locations, but. Um, that ended up being a $12 ticket, Ooh. which um, they basically don't look at your card when you do that. Like, you don't get two savings on top of it. If you go on the cheap day, then your card's basically invalid. But yeah. it ends up being cheaper anyway, so it's fine. I just learned that. There you go. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I caught this film. Um, and straight off the bat... Okay, hot take. Let's hot go. take. Um, I like this film. I do. Um... I don't think this film is as good as The Farewell. Okay, I'll, I compared it to The Farewell as well. I but. think it falls significantly shorter than The Farewell. Um, I think The Farewell yeah. is, in terms of a cultural exploration and a, even a family drama, like on that precedence, it's significantly better. And it frustrates me that, you know, we, it was one of the biggest snubs last year at you mm. know, the awards. Um, and, you know, I honestly think it was probably just because it was in, you know, the films it was competing against, it was a very competitive category. Last year was really tough. And I think if The Farewell had come out a year later, I think it would have beaten out Minari um, for foreign language film easily. But, Mm. um, I liked it. I did like it. Um, it just... I just don't think it really even compares to The Farewell or in terms of even just like Korean cinema, I don't think it's up there with Parasite or or stuff like that. Um, one of my favourite parts of the film is Stephen Yoon's performance. Mm. I think he's amazing in it. Um, but I really felt like my expectation was met, maybe even was a little short of my expectation. Okay. Um, and, you know, the fact of the matter is we've had a really good run in 2021 in terms of films we've watched. We've had... I've been very overtly positive on literally every episode bar Malcolm and Marie. Um, and 
I feel like every year there's there's going to be a film that there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but I really don't think there's anything extraordinary about it. Didn't it didn't speak to you in a way. It didn't, like, Nomadland or Promising Young Woman, like, these films shifted my ideology. They shifted my perspective. They created a response out of me. And mm. This film I watched, I absorbed, I registered, and then I moved on. And I really... Okay. I, yeah, I think this film, this type of story, this American dream type of story... We've been telling it for decades, just with, from different perspectives. But um, I don't think the because the the only difference is this is a, a, a Korean cultural expiration is mm. is a part of it, and I think that there are films that fundamentally do cultural expiration better. Now I know the farewell is set in uh, China. I think it's China. Is it China? Is it? Yeah, it crosses between China and America. Um, yeah. So it's a cultural expectation into Chinese culture, not Korean culture. I know they're completely different things. But I look at this as a cultural exploration film and I think fundamentally it, it gets enough, but it doesn't go that extra mile. Right. What's interesting... So, yeah, firstly, I did compare it to The Farewell as well. I, I phrased it more as, like, this is a really natural continuation to The Farewell because you're right, the, se- the themes are quite similar in the sense that you have this sort of cultural crossing and the the idea of the eastern and western clash yep and i do like the farewell more than this film if i had to get sort of down in the gritty and compare the two i do like the farewell more yeah i've also seen it more um and i've had more time to really appreciate that film uh but that said i think this film tweaks elements enough where First off, it's a period piece. It takes place in the 80s, which I didn't realise like halfway through the film. When I noticed the cars and they're talking about the Reagan administration, I was like, oh, I didn't even like think about it. This is, this is like a 40-year-old story. Yeah. Um, which will, I, I have a really... Uh, That's weird to a, think the 80s is 40 years ago. It's yeah, crazy. yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, even early 80s, exactly. And uh, there's a few reasons why I think they decided to do this, which I'll get to later. But I think that adds sort of this extra texture to the story in that it is... Um, it does take place in the past, and you're right with uh, Korean families and Chinese families having different cultures. But then that also reminded me of um, what's the other film I'm thinking of right now? Oh well, it was it was Parasite in the sense that the way it betrays a poor family. Yeah. And again, I think this there's different approaches where I think and Parasite is a much more methodical, um, exciting film in terms of having this poor family moving forward. And I think this one is a bit more methodical. It's a bit slower. takes its time. But I thought the way they explored... Um, there's a... there's. I'm sorry. I'm trying to go through my notes. There's a reason why I compared those two films. The, oh, I, yeah, I guess that was it. Just the fact that one is a contemporarily poor mm. family in Parasite and then one is a poor family from many years ago where they're not holding iPhones, for example. You know, it's a much mm. classical way of communication where they have to drive back and forth between locations. The hospital was an hour away. I think those little tweaks gave it the texture. Do I think this is my least favorite film out of those three? Probably. That's still a high bar, though, I'm setting, because I did love this film. Okay. But you're right. It didn't have the... What's the word I'm looking for? It didn't have the the spark, I guess. There's always some cool thing about the film and to be fair the trailer spoils this film 
the trailer a thousand percent spoils like basically the ending of the film. Yeah, look, and that really pisses me off. It's true, actually, it does. Um, I just think that, yeah, I, we obviously this year we've had you know we've got a we've consumed a pretty good array of the award season films. Like yeah. we've got probably seventy percent of them in the bag, or we thought we had seventy percent of them in the bag. Yeah. We got one <laughs> films that are coming out of nowhere. Um, so obviously yeah, I'm like you know, and obviously this film did just win you know best foreign language film. So well, it's good because the film we did last week was a direct competitor, another round. Yeah, that was also up against this film, and I think yeah, like I said, I don't dislike this film. I just feel like I really didn't get more than what I expected out of it, mm. I think. Um, and I love when I go into a film, like Another Round, when we were talking about it last week and stuff, thinking, ah, look... And it's like, I think both films were equally um, predictable. Like, we predict... I feel like okay. I can predict the the, pro, the plot and the pace um, pretty well. Um, okay. But... I think that there was a, op- a, a more creativity and spark and original storytelling in another round as compared to this film. Um, there are things I like about this film. I love the cultural subversion of your expectation in regards to race and culture with the interaction between white America and, and obviously a Korean family. Mm. Like um, when they go to the church and no stuff, racism. is that what you refer There's no, right. no single... I was waiting for it to happen. Well, I think there's a couple of instances of, like, unintentional racism. Like political incorrectness. Political incorrectness. Um, the scene I'm thinking of is when the little girl's asking him, like, oh, stop me when I say a word you understand. And yeah. start saying ching chong ching. I guess, like, yeah. That I, I did laugh at that The kids, I think, are the point. only... The kids are the only ones who actually get subjugated to any form of racism, though. Right. And it's, Both it's naivete. Yeah. They're not trying to be mean to these people. Yeah, I really but. feel like, in particular, um, because her, if you look, if you look at that scene with the the sister, um, or oh, what's her name? Um, sorry, I got it here. It's Monica, Annie, Annie is the, yeah, Annie yeah, is that's one her. Of the kids. And uh, da- David, David, David's the, the young boy, the boy who I think is the protagonist of this film. Absolutely, yeah, huge. Um, so <laughs> huge. Yeah. But he experiences one too with the with the boy. But the, if you look at the responses in That's the scene, true. like they basically like he asks, "Why is your face so flat?" And then she goes like, goes through that like. But eventually, when she arrives to a word that's actually a word, her result it's not. Oh well, your words sound like that. It's oh that word's really cool. I'm glad I've yeah. learned. They want to be invested in their like cultural expectation, and I think. I liked the progressiveness of the film, I think. It was the fact that, for the most part, especially with the adults, they didn't feature any form of of um, racism. And I'm not saying that, uh, that they would have never been subjugated to it in their lives, but it was nice to have a film that was like, we're not focusing on that, we're not addressing that. Like, there are, like, for the most part, you know, people aren't, overtly like they can be politically incorrect sure because right. i'm pretty sure even um or oh, what's his, what's uh what's the crazy Jake. religious guy oh paul paul yeah um 
you know, even he says occasionally he says things that are a little like and eh, a little politically incorrect, like a couple of phrases here or there. But for right. the most part, he's an incredibly sincere and caring person. Um, and yeah, I just think that it, it was really nice to have a film that was like we're not focusing on that; we're focusing on this family dynamic and this uh, divide between uh, mm. striving for this dream and maintaining a sound family life. Yeah, well I think I think that sort of extends to the wider story as well that there is you know, I hate using this word in general, but it definitely doesn't feel contrived. Like all the drama feels quite natural and and you're right, like none of the characters are overtly racist. Sometimes they may say things that you can consume one way or another, but it doesn't even that never becomes a thing. Yeah. It never becomes part of the story. Uh all of the the troubles they have trying to get jobs, trying to sell crops, trying to avoid like the hurricane that's coming that's going to destroy their home like um none of it ever feels like drama for the sake of drama it feels very everything feels lived in everything feels natural and you know it feels circumstantial it's like it's like real life you know it's like these characters aren't it's not uncut gems they're not putting themselves in these horrible situations yeah so there's no reason to have horrible life or death outcomes of course um david has like a heart condition but Again, that's just like lots of people have all sorts of conditions that they sort of just live with, and it's every now and then you you know you got to tell David to stop running because yeah. it could be bad for his heart. But it's it's not like this pivotal life changing thing. This is something that they live with, something they have to deal with. So I think you're right. Just the idea of that there's no overt over satirical drama is I think that helps the film a lot. It feels and a lot of people say I think a lot of people love this film because it's uh it's wholesome and sweet mm. and it is. Uh doesn't automatically make for a great film, but I think it works in this case because then you sort of relax with the family portrait that they're painting. Yeah. And that and that story, which I really love. Um let's talk about David. Yep. And the reason why we both I guess think that he is the protagonist of the story. Because I think it's easy to say Jacob, that Stephen Young's character is the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And I love his arc. Or rather, I love what he does um, with the character in this pursuit of the American dream in, in the form of this self-made, self-sustainable man. And I think that's kind of really any of our goals. You know, mm-hmm. we all, as men, like, <laughs> as men with our unique perspective... No, I think there is there is always that drive to want to be self sustainable. I always I take pride in that. You know, I know a bit of you know how to fix up my car mm-hmm. if there's a problem, or you know, you built a pool table not that long ago. Right, I did. Know, there's 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 a sense of pride when like we can build things and yeah. look after ourselves. And yeah, we live in a world where you know we just go and buy everything at the sh- at the shops, or we communicate with our phones and all of that stuff. Like I still don't know how to change a tire, for example. But I love the exploration of that, especially from an economical standpoint of having him trying to build the farm and investing in the tractor mm-hmm. and all of these things, try and sell stuff and to make a living to make your own water. And that, that is a big part of the story is, is just not having water. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I love that cause I just, I love all those sort of economical, you know, entrepreneur stories as it is. And then weaving it into Stephen Young. But I thought that was excellent. But that's fair. Yeah. I, I think um, it, David is probably definitely your protagonist of the yes. film, um, and Jacob's sort of story is is interesting. That 
his drive is about yeah being self-sufficient not mm. relying on his family but being someone that has achieved something i mean these like what they do for a career they've been um they they determine chicken they sex chickens they, yeah yeah so they they obviously yeah that's what they've done for 10 15 years and um you can tell that uh, this film is what it's trying to do is yeah it's trying to play into that that search for identity that search for a mm. purpose and a drive and um obviously it creates quite a rift between him and his wife monica um and uh yeah fundamentally it pushes them to a breaking point and it only at a point of critical mass do they really discover that their reliance needs to be on each other. I mean, mm. uh, well, it's resilience at the end of the day. It's the perfect word. To... Yeah, but it's they genuinely need each other in each other's lives. Like they, they, and they openly say, you know, when um, they're even on the verge of separation, that why doesn't he just come back to California with? them Mm. because they need each other and i think the chemistry between the two is is very sound it's very good and very believable their fights feel real um Mm. they don't feel over dramatized or anything and um i think the kid's reaction to it is is very appropriate and i just love that scene yeah yeah it's really it's just really interesting all around, to be honest. A great performance by Stephen Yoon in particular. What, what I love about him is we've seen him play like the Boy Scout in The Walking Dead and then something like Burning and, and to a lesser extent in Oxford. The is still going, by the way. It's just like... I think it's ending. I, I think they're on their last I saw a, um, a trailer the other day and Maggie's got Glenn's kid, Stephen Yoon's character. How old is the kid now? The kid's like three or four. Oh, okay. And how's um Rick's the kids baby. asking the kids asking like how how did daddy die and it's like uh, I was like ooh <laughs> yeah it's it's he knows what's happening with that show I don't know anyone who watches it anymore but no the, my point is like seeing him as a boy scout in the walking dead and then in um not even just Octra but burning which is a great that's a great film he's a bit more mischievous and and kind of evil in those films mm-hmm. like his approach to things is way more drastic but he he's always got this youthful sense across mm. all those films. This is the first film where I got a sense of him being sort of an older, more stubborn Korean man, and, yeah. and and specifically like his little not fits of anger. I wouldn't call them that, but there is a frustration. Like it looks like he's sort of kicking his feet, and mm. and his shoulders are sort of bent inward. Like there's there's a hint that he's starting to become that older man. Yeah, that. You know, the, the the grandfather you're afraid to talk to, that kind of thing. <laughs> I love that there's a bit of that in, in his yeah. performance. But it, the interesting thing as well, I only just thought of this, is what is truly, what is Jacob's motivation? We know it's to be a self-made man, the American dream, run his own farm. You know, he provides his own water to his mm-hmm. family. But I think it's in the guise of making a better life for his kids. Now, this is something I want to explore in some films, like, way later down the line. But I'm taking the approach that, like, each generation, like, sort of the hand-me-downs of a generation where the parents make sacrifices for the kids, it's almost like a doomed mentality. Mm-hmm. While here, it sounds like Jacob's trying to get ahead of the curve. He's not 
you know, working his entire life to make a life better for his kids. He's taken that extra step and trying to make it better right now, right this instant. Yeah. But is that just a guise? Because you're right, they have those arguments where the family might break apart and she's going to take the kids and he's too stubborn to, to, to I move away legacy. from it. It's that's that that's really his drive. I think um, he wants to have a legacy that carries on. Mm. He wants his kids to talk about him, and he wants his kids' kids to talk about him and his accomplishments, and that he was self-made. It's the sort of the he wants to have that sort of historical context there. I think. Um, to the point where he's willing to potentially even end his relationship just to have something like yeah. that. Um, and I think that is really the thesis of his mindset. I think he wants to, yeah, create that legacy. I think, yeah, because that's definitely the sense I got as well, ultimately. And even at the expense of losing his family. Now, that, as far as I'm aware of, that doesn't happen. I'm actually trying to remember this shot. It, 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 the ending implies to me that they're still all together. Them sleeping on the floor together. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm trying to remember the shots, because there's only, like, a handful of shots after that shot. Um, I know we're skipping a bunch of things now, but mm. but my from memory, they were all still together during the last shot when they when they grabbed the Minari flowers and yeah. stuff. Yeah, so it is that story of resilience, and they sort of find the middle ground where, where Monica decides to stay but they're still going to go for this farm. They're still going to try, even when everything is like it's burned down. Do we want to talk about that ending? Yeah, I mean, we've probably explored the, the grandma character a little bit. That's true. Because um, yeah, we haven't really talked about her, and she's actually quite a critical point of this film. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the, obviously, the main parables with the farewell, obviously, a central protagonist's relationship with their grandparent, Um it's Aquafina and her grandma in yep. Farewell, and it's um, David with his relationship with this, you know, obviously two totally different points of youth. Right, because, in, well, in this stance, he's meeting his grandmother for the first time. Yeah, well, so, to, he, I'm like, from a memorable standpoint, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they, yeah, they treat it as... as I think they've met yeah. each other before, but obviously he was like an infant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But but the the point of the relationship building from the ground up, yeah. Uh, whereas as opposed to Aquafina's relationship, where they already have a pre-evolved relationship, and it's more about the exploration of that relationship. Uh, but there, there's still parables, obviously, between the two. Yeah, of course. Um, her character is obviously great, like, um, mm. and I think she's really one of the sleeper hits of the film. I think when obviously midway through the film, she has a stroke. And um, was obviously never the same again. Is actually the cause for the fire at the end of the film. Um, and she she is an immensely likable character. She has that same sort of mm. trait like the grandma from the farewell does. Where it, when their tragedy feisty. when their tragedy hits, you do really feel it. Like it really hits hits yeah. home. Um, but unfortunately, I think with the, the farewell just has this really good psychological complex about it. The fact that we know that this woman's dying, but she doesn't know. Um, right. And I really like that exploration more, whereas I kind of actually, from the moment I saw her, 
predicted something terrible was going to happen to her. In Minari. Yeah, in Minari. Yeah. Like, I thought she was going to die. So let's... Uh, a couple of paces See, back. See, but this is the thing. I didn't think that because, first off, the bloody trailer spoils the fire. So I knew when they were throwing trash and thing, and I was like, that's what it's leading up to. Yeah. Um, but even that removed, like I said, that none of this film felt contrived or overly dramatized. So I never thought anyone was going to die. Mm. I guess in the moment I, I, during the fight, maybe, but yeah. but yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. We see her character's really great, and she's the one who plants the Minari, which is this uh, weed-like herb or mm. something that's utilized in Korea for next to everything, and obviously plays into the the final act of the film when the the barn burns down and all of the produce, most of the produce is is uh, destroyed and, but the Minari has, has grown and thrived on its own yeah well um, my, my thinking obviously that that plays into the literal thing of, of being their backup plan you know they've lost almost everything but the grandma of course seeded <clears throat> these Minari here but I think it, it speaks to the wider scope that the characters refer to her almost as a curse on the <clears throat> family and it's not that necessarily things start going wrong as soon as she arrives but she almost becomes like the, the, the scapegoat, that they start blaming her for things. Even though, in reality, she's the one that, you know, despite her attitude, she's building this relationship with David, making his heart stronger by sort of being more pushy with running and doing what he wants. He's not, she's not overbearing him. And then planting the Minari, despite everyone being like, no, don't do that. You know, you just stay, just stay here. Don't go out that far. So despite them thinking she's a curse... Yeah, it's through those two elements of of healing David's heart, almost very literally, and then planting the backup Minari. Um, she ends up being the, the savior of the family in a way, the glue, if you will, yeah. that sticks them. Yeah, that's so, I I no, you're right. I love that, and I love the relationship they built. The thing I found interesting was I wrote the quote down when this is early on between David's relationship. I want to get a name, a Sonja with Sonja, and she's. She's watching the wrestling, or you know, she's kind of over, not not violent, but you know, she's into that kind of stuff. Not what you would yeah. stereotypically expect. And the uh, David even says, like, "Oh, you're not you're not a grandmother. You swear and you don't make cookies. And you wear guys' underwear. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I thought that was an interesting line because it's like, is David rejecting her as a parental figure? And we know that he's a bit he's a shy kid in general. We've yeah. seen it when he goes out. And, goes for the sleepover with the boy or whatever. But is it more a rejection of the fact that they have all of these old tapes that, you know, they're in the 80s, have these sitcom mm-hmm. tapes. It's almost a bit like what One Division was trying to be for seven episodes and then started losing uh, in the last two. But <laughs> but I, I like the subtlety in that where he has a preconceived notion of what a grandmother is mm-hmm. based on these, like, American sitcoms. And they don't show us they don't show us him watching the sitcoms, but I feel like that's the go to response of why would he have a preconceived notion of what a grandmother is and and this his grandmother is not that way at all. That she does wear guys underwear and watches wrestling yeah. and all of that jazz. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, let's see. I think let's let's hone in on David as a protagonist. Okay. Why we think he's the protagonist, and I think this relates to the '80s backdrop of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you tell me first. What made you like? What made you think? Yeah, yeah, he's clearly the protagonist in the film. What specifically? 
I think he undergoes the biggest character arc okay. and develops the most. Um, I think, I think what it is is it's you know in, in small nuanced ways, David learns to not fear, you know, like his heart murmur, and mm. and on top of that, he also learns to kind of have that sincerity towards people, and also take actually develops little essences of responsibility. Obviously, the grandma feels mm. grieve-stricken and terrible when she starts the fire and burns down the, 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 the shed um, to the point where, you know, she's zoning out. We can only imagine what she was thinking and what she was thinking about doing to herself. Yeah. And it's actually David's actions that turns her around and mm. come back that forgiveness there and... Um, it was the completion of the arc because he says no don't leave yeah. like don't leave me which is the polar opposite of how he starts yeah. the story so I think you're right I think his relation with the grandmother makes it the makes it the strongest um, arc it's a cultural embracement because David's mm. character is very much he's an American kid mm. like and that's, that's one point. of those notions that isn't uh, like every way the way he acts the way he perceives the way he perceives what a grandma should be is based off western television tropes um, he is very much an American kid, much like Aquafina was in a Korean or in mm. Aquafina's case, a Chinese family. Um, and him and his sister are very much, his sister at least had, has been to Korea. Like, right. But David never went. David's the one that says she smells like Korea, right? Yeah. That's his line. Yeah. And then they follow up with, you've never been to Korea. So yeah. how would you know? <laughs> so... Whereas actually his sister has been there, right. even just as a young kid. So he's very much a product of an American child. So with him um, saying that, don't leave, it's completely his arc. He's embracing his culture. He's embracing his heritage. Mm-hmm. He's embracing his legacy, which is inherently, I think this film is like that discussion of, of legacy and what does legacy represent in a family? Is yeah. it is it is it success or ownership of land or assets? No, it's it's what you make it be. It's your it's your family. Zeke. Yes. You are a very clever boy. Thank you. No, I think you're a thousand percent spot on. Because I didn't even like compare. I knew you're right what they were doing with having him being like the most American of the family because of him growing up there. But that is a really great point how it's almost literally tied to her as a character, to the grandmother. So... Ooh. Very spot on. Thank you. Very, very good stuff. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think part of the reason there is that arc, but I also think having this be an 80s film, we're looking at this from a past sense or from a future sense rather that we're w- watching this film in the future. I think a lesser film would have like, you know, Denzel Washington playing the adult version of David. This was my story back in the day, you know, like. I think without explicitly saying it, uh, this feels I, like da- yeah, <laughs> this feels like David telling this story mm. years in the future. And I'll take a McConaughey on, in True Detective telling this story. <laughs> Can I have a exactly. six pack of beer? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but I also think it helps with the religious incorporating the religious stuff in there yeah. as well because I think that's a big thing, especially in America in the eighties, um, and them going to church and stuff. I think that plays into that. As well, but um, no worries. Would you yeah. like to move into a highlight scene? Let's do it, Zeke. Let's do it. What's your highlight scene? We kind of mentioned it earlier, but my highlight scene is is the initial fight between Jacob and Monica. 
It's a really good fight. It's really uncomfortable. And I love the kids using, like, the paper plane to try... Like, I, like I don't vividly remember being mm-hmm. in a situation like that, but that feeling of you just want these people to stop arguing and, and there's hopelessness because there's nothing you can do to make them stop arguing, that was translated wonderfully. I think that was a really great... And, and Stephen Young is scary in that scene. Mm. Really scary. I would say my highlight scene is the polar rising uh, fight scene between the two the cultivation outside the the store and the reason i like that fight scene is it comes back to one of the this film's biggest strengths is how it is very grounded and very real it really Mm. does feel like we're in the 80s it really feels like we're exploring this family so the difference between that fight and that final resolution fight and then the one from marriage story is i love that fight marriage story but it's very performative it's right. very... Um, it's, it's the act, actors will be reciting that scene for years. Exactly. Um, it's a film that... I mean, it's the, that scene I've used in one of the films that I was a part of as, right. the, as sort of the acting, like, consider this, try and be like this. Yeah. Um, but it's performative. And when I made that film, like last year, which hopefully one day will be... Put on, put yeah, on the website. It's a, Cascade. No, readily available. So um, <laughs> disappointing. A can of worms for a different time. Um, <laughs> uh, you can see it in that fight too. It's very performative. It's not... Yeah. It doesn't... Like, it feels real in a, in a way that it's, it's dramatic realism. It's kind of like... Right. What they're saying is kind of what they're thinking rather than what how they would actually act. And whereas that fight that they... That final separation fight they have is actually quite reserved... Yeah, and there's still an uncertainty, even after the fight, what his decision is. And the fact that they kind of fall apart and crumble, and then that shopkeeper comes out and goes, oh, you're still here, and they have to <laughs> kind of snap back into, yeah. oh, yeah, we're in public. Like, we're in this public place. Mm. That's what makes it real, because those sort of fights do happen, and it's sort of like the, oh, I wonder what that couple over there is talking about, and they could be having a, a World War Three <laughs> happening, and you just don't really <laughs> grasp it, and then yeah. they have to snap back to that uppity sort of salesman mantra, and I really like that scene. And yeah. the fire scene's great. Yeah, the fire scene's great. I think the cinematography's incredible throughout the film, the greens especially, but, but the barn burning was, mm. like, that is some gorgeous cinematography. Absolutely. No worries. Well, Minari is currently out in cinemas near you. Um, yes, exactly. If you're in Australia, if you're in America, I think it's on Hulu. Is it on Hulu? I know there's still one like, of them. Okay, it's one of those. There's still like private screens. You know, No Man Land's coming to Disney Plus in April. That's crazy. That's awesome. Well done, Disney. Surprised. Thank you. Oh, because oh, it's Searchlight, isn't it? Yes. There you go. It would be under Star. There you go. Under Star. Cool. Oh, well, speaking of what's new in cinemas and streaming platforms, Jake, hit us up with it. Uh, fun week this week. Uh, week. <laughs> I usually say big week or small week. This yeah. is sort of in the middle. Uh, coming to Netflix this week is Yesterday, which sees parents Allison and Carlos decide to give their kids a break by allowing a 24-hour period where they can respond to yes for any and all of their requests. So it seems like a fun little comedy where the kids are in control today. Uh, so take with that as you will. Coming to Stan this week, Bill and Ted face the music, which is very exciting. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, and Old Boy. Uh, don't ask me which one, I don't know. Hopefully it's the good one. I'm looking at you, Spike. I actually haven't seen Spike Lee's version, so I'm just assuming. Uh, coming to Disney Plus this week, I usually wouldn't mention this, but 
assembled the making of WandaVision. So it's a bit of a, an episodic, behind-the-scenes look into the making of WandaVision. I usually don't include this stuff, but you know we both like the show, mm-hmm. so um, that's coming out next week. Very exciting. And I don't usually talk about Apple TV+, Plus, but this is a film I really wanted to mention that is coming to yeah. Apple TV+, Plus is Cherry. So this is the film directed by the Russo brothers. It's their first post-Marvel film. And it sees Tom Holland play the titular character as he drifts from college dropouts. He's in to, another film, isn't he? Coming. He's in Chaos Walking. Yeah. And he's... Um, and How's that going in reviews? Uh, not great. At least the letterbox score is pretty bad. I want to see it. I'm going to go to Hoyts and watch Chaos Walking because I'm so curious. But anyway, mm. so uh, Tom Holland plays the titular character as he drifts from college dropout to army medic and a victim to eventually a victim of PTSD. So it seems like a bit of an odyssey film for Tom Holland, and that's kind of getting mediocre view- reviews as well. I think Tom Holland's on a bit of a, a yike streak at the moment. Because there's more. There's this film, there's Chaos Walking. There's another one that he was in recently, I think. With Devil All the Time? No, no, like much more recently. Or it's like out in the next month, I don't know. Well, also, he's also come out and talked about he he's not happy with his performance in the Uncharted movie, which is... He probably shouldn't have said that before the movie came out, but <laughs> he's just letting us down easy. Yeah, exactly. well, Jake, we're not catching any of those next week on the show. But no. what are we watching? We're watching something that's new to cinemas that no one can see a shock face. Yeah. <laughs> I had a shock face. Next week on the show, we're watching Judas and the Black Messiah. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Repeat after me. stolen car five years for impersonating a federal officer or you can go home the black badges are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror I will learn all that I can I will learn. these ain't no terrorists you can murder a liberator but you can't murder a liberation you can murder but you can't murder revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. Offered a plea deal by the FBI, William O'Neill, played by Lakeith Stanfield, must infiltrate the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party to gather intelligence on Chairman Fred Hampton, played by now Golden Globe winner Daniel Coulier. I'm so excited for this film. Yeah, I, I realized last night that it actually comes out this next week. I was like, ooh. I'm really going to try and get that and One Night in Miami. Mm. Knock them out. Let me go back to that. If you get Prime, even, even just like a small trial, you got to watch Sound of Metal as well. Yeah. I gotta get them all done. Yeah. Got a lot big, big week. Big week. It's gonna be Thankfully, good stuff. I've I've 
hit. I had five assignments due in the last three days, and I've finished that block. I have two next week, but <laughs> you seem very exhausted. I got to show you a video of me teaching after the show. Um, it's pretty funny. Oh, do you like teach the class? Or... Yeah, oh, you have to treat the class like the students. Do they like talk crap to you? They, they like... can, yeah. <laughs> they can be disruptive, and you have to like voice control. It's almost worth the money and time to enter the course just to yell at you. <laughs> I could do it on the podcast, but it's more fun to do it in front of others. That's true. No <laughs> drama as well. Thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Judas and the Black Messiah.